0: Hey, welcome back, everybody. My name is Father Brian. And we're off. And we're off.
1: I've been waiting to do that.
0: Yeah, you last, love Last letters. time I- Yeah, you skipped it.
1: Yeah. I like dream about it. It feels good to be
0: back. I said that one time to Ryan. We were in the car and he's like, he's like, hey, and we we're driving up to your house. And I was like, and we're off. And we're
1: off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always think to myself, well, that's the autobiography.
0: That could be on our shirts, honestly. We can make shirts to just say and our tagline. Tag. <laughs> totally. Your tagline. It's so lame. Oh gosh. It's so well welcome back. Welcome back.
1: We never got to ask you how was uh how was Hawaii?
0: Hawaii was amazing. I it's so funny. I have the I don't know if you ever have these weird hangups on like there's things where I'm like, oh, I don't want people to know that I was in Hawaii. Totally. But then you kind of realize it's okay. Yeah. And so in my community, in the Companions of Christ, and a lot of priests out there, priests are supposed to live simple lives. And in Hawaii, it just sounds so exotic. And I'm like, I don't know, should a priest be saying he went to Hawaii? But I did. <laughs> it's probably more important if I went or not, rather than how people feel about it. But it was amazing. And what I've realized with time is that Hawaii isn't as like expensive as you people might think it is. And Totally. We had a great time. The best was I did the uh, road to Hana. Biked the road to Hana. That was amazing. It's like one of the windiest roads in the world.
1: So gorgeous.
0: So I did, I think I did a total of 60 miles. I, the, the route I did, it was like 40 miles one way. And then I did like half of it back. Yeah. Uh, but it was, I mean, it's like paradise. You're on the coast in the jungle and it's gorgeous. It's and there were so no awesome. cars. So it was, yeah. it was amazing. But uh, that was a great trip. It helped to recharge my batteries a bit. And
1: back, it after. is funny that you said that, like, yeah, you feel like, like, I feel like if I was in your shoes, I'd have to be like, yeah, I went to, uh, some desert, you know, like some, like just non-attractive, it's gotta be weird saying you go to Hawaii. Well,
0: it's kind of weird. people don't think priests are people. Yeah. And so people will say, whenever I go on vacation, you know, this, they always say, how was your retreat? And That's I can right. say it, I can say it from the pulpit. I'd be like, "Hey, I was in Hawaii. I had a great vacation. It was awesome." And people will come up to me and say, "How was your retreat?" Totally. And totally. I don't know what you all think about priests out there, but we're, we're people too.
1: No question. Yeah. I say this all like the more I've been around you and see your day to day, you know, like it's especially in the secular world, like vacation, uninterrupted vacation, time away from your cell phone, time away from the email. It's like all that kind of stuff is so, you know, promoted and like yeah. said you need that in your life and i can honestly say seeing your schedule i mean i think if someone tried to get a dinner with you you're a couple weeks out if not a month out yeah, for like when easily. someone get on the calendar and like you go all day i always say this like you have mass first thing then you're in meetings all day long marriage preps all this stuff very heavy conversations to then having a dinner and like i like i have the bandwidth just in my own life of Pre accident, but one or two dinners a week. Like right. I just get exhausted, and you have dinners almost every night. You're in that mode of like you got to go over. It's a, it's a lot. So it is to not a expect a priest or even promote. You know, time away to just you're not a machine. Like you need that.
0: It's important. Morgan always says that people, and I think she's right that because of Hollywood, people like they call the parish office and they just imagine like Father Brian's in the church, there's Gregorian chant playing. Totally. And he is just like in meditation, waiting for someone who needs him. That's right. And it's not that way at all. Yep. And you know what the funny thing is, is I became a priest. And in so many ways, when you enter a seminary and you're you're trying to pursue that kind of life, you leave behind the noise. Right. And the busyness yep. to study and to pray and to kind of leave all of that behind. And in diocesan priesthood, you're thrown right back into it. And I do think not all that's good. I need to do a better job of living a more ordered life. Yeah. And the, because like with, with rest, you can, it's probably not good to get to a place of like, you work yourself so hard that you're like, oh my gosh, if I don't get a vacation, like I'm going to have a total burnout. Totally. The better thing is to live an ordered life where you, you know, you're giving yourself generously, but you're living the right kind of way. And I'm hoping with the two new priests, And I do think this with father V told and father Sean, I think that's going to help my life to be more ordered where we can be totally, you know, doing things together. And it's not one priest for, you know, 1200 families or whatever. No question.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it is. It
1: is very, because in the seminary, your first year, you give up the cell phone, don't you? Like you give up, I mean, once a week you can make calls or something, but it's pretty quiet year.
0: In our in our seminary, we have what's called the spirituality year. Okay. <clears throat> and they uh you're right. It's 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 similar to what religious orders have something called a novitiate. And it's similar to that. It's a year of uh silence. And so it's like we don't know, guys that are in seminary, they come from a variety of backgrounds and habits and yep. families and all kinds of things. And some of them have really learned how to pray and how to be silent, and some haven't. But almost everybody needs more of it. And so that first year, right. We, we have academics, but there's, there are no grades, Interesting. which is really freeing. You have classes, yeah. but you're not worried about the test. You're just like, we should read St. Augustine. And so you read, uh, you read some of the classics of Western spirituality. You read the Confessions of St. Augustine one of the books you read. You read through the Bible uh, that year, and you have a class in the Bible, but you're not freaked out because you have to know the theology of judges you have to memorized the test. You're just engaging it. And so that, that's a great thing. And you're right, but tons of silence. So you have, um, uh, you're only allowed to have your, to make phone calls on Sundays, no computers at all. Yeah. Uh, the only thing you can watch on television is the Father Brady runs this year for us, one of the companions. And he chooses movies for guys to watch and to have discussions about. So.
1: Oh, wow. Interesting.
0: Which I'm like, I love Brady, but I, I'm like, oh, that's going to be an awful movie. <laughs> you know? <laughs> i'm not that deep you know guys with like movies so these guys like these like artsy movies and when i did this happened in spirituality year. it was a different priest choosing the movies then but in my spirituality year we watched like there's a there's a famous old old movie called the passion of joan of arc and it's a silent film and it's supposed like one of the best movies ever made and guys oh. were like we watched it and oh i was Guy's like, that was amazing. Did you see the lighting? And I'm like, I just thought it was a bad movie.
1: First of all, you know? was the volume turned off that whole time? Yeah, or exactly. I couldn't hear a word they were saying. <laughs>
0: exactly. And then one, Father Hellstrom, God bless him, who ran the spirituality here. Can not just watch there's there's a like movie from like the sixties, I want to say. Oh. It's called The Nun Story. I like some movies from the 60s, but the Nun Story is this really long movie. And uh spoiler alert, if you don't if you're gonna watch the Nun Story, at the end of the movie she leaves religious life. She leaves the convent. And I, I think he had us watch it because it's like wrestling with like, hey, you guys are probably a little naive. You enter seminary and you think everything's gonna be perfect and happy all the time. Yeah. You're, you're so holy and you fold your hands when you walk through the hallway. Totally. And sometimes stuff's really hard. And have you wrestled with that?
1: Yeah. That at some point, it reminds me, we had kind of touched on it, but there's that podcast out there. It's just me trying to lock in this episode because I, I really want to do it with you where they interview some of the sisters that left Mother Teresa's order. Yeah. And it was very similar. Like, And, and I've listened to some of it on the episode I listened to. She was very, nothing like, not yet, at least what I listened to, like nothing terrible happened. It wasn't scandal. It was just like, look, I entered when I was 18. I th- I just kind of assumed it'd be a different, you know, a certain type of lifestyle. And it was very different. Yeah. Like you don't, you don't know what you're really getting into until you're in the thick of it. Uh, but I could see that that'd be very interesting, especially for some of like your first year walking into seminary.
0: It's amazing. it's amazing. Well, and think about it. This is one of the things where parents, I understand that, um, I think there's an analogy when people get married young. Yeah. In many ways, I'm an advocate for people getting married young. Um, uh, we have so many things we could talk about with this, but the, uh, a lot of the problems I think we have with sexuality in our culture. I think one part of it is certainly not the biggest piece. There are are things much harder, but we get married a lot older now. Yeah. And, you know, for much of human history, you know, you'd be, by the time you hit 20, you should, you'll be married. Right. And, um, and a lot of the kind of like youthful drive around these things was, was kind of harnessed by love of a person in a marriage. And now we've got people who they're, they're dating into their thirties. Right. And it's just hard. It's you know, when you're when when you're 20 something and and of course we have this over sexualized culture.
1: I was gonna ask you, when do you think that did that a lot of that happened with the sexual revolution?
0: That was the biggest thing and I mean, I I think that the sexual revolution of the sixties, I think is the largest revolution in history. I mean, you there's other huge moments, of course. The French Revolution was and the American Revolution both were huge. Uh the fall of the Roman Empire is a massive historical event. Right. Uh, and so th- there's debate about these, but with the sexual revolution of the 60s, we tried to reinvent human nature.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And because of what happened with the, the oral contraceptive pill, things have radically changed. But anyway, back to the, the whole point of this is that, so now though, people look at, uh, and I've done this, like you have somebody comes to my office and there's a 19-year-old and a 20-year-old and they say, hey, we want to get married. And I think that's like, In seminary, you know, when I I was a little older, I entered seminary at 24, I think, but I was still really young. Yeah. And if you, you have a lot of growing up to do still. Totally. And I think in our culture, part of that, many of you out there have encountered this. We have an artificial uh, prolonging of adolescence in our culture where, and college is a big part of this, right? With college and gosh, we're really far afield today. (laughs) But in college, right, you, we kind of, we we created this very artificial environment where you go off to college and it's, you're going to study maybe depending on like who you are, what you're about in college, what your major is. But you're also like, it's like four years of surrounded by people who are all young and attractive and we're just going to party for four years. That's right. Um, Universities originally were connected to monasteries.
2: Yeah, You said that. Yeah.
0: And so, so we created this adolescence kind of thing. And so, so I think, you know, when people enter and talking about these sisters who have left religious orders, you know, I look at kids who are getting married at 20 years old, 21, 22. And in one sense, I'm like, okay, that's great. But I think, but I think because we're not as mature in our culture as, you know, if, if you lived in the twenties or something, let's say you, you're, you're 16, You're working. That's you're right. You're working on the farm or you're going yeah. to the factory and you've got to grow up a lot quicker. Yeah. And we have this prolonged period of adolescence in our culture. And so I think with, with seminary and all of us are affected by this, you still have a lot of growing up to do at that
2: time. Right.
0: And so I know I did. And I, one way I think of this is, as you all, I don't know if you all know this out there, Patrick knows this, but I, I, I idealize marriage. Monsignor Glenn used to say he uh, he was the rector of the seminary and a mentor for me, a great man who passed away from a uh, brain cancer. But Monsignor Glenn used to say that uh, that priests, if they um, if they ever wanted to, would write the best romance novels ever. <laughs> and like I have this, I know, and I admittedly I know I have a skewed vision of marriage because I'm like, oh man, it must be so amazing to be married, and you come home and it's been a long day, and you're Wife, you know, rubs you in the shoulders and hands you a drink and says, Honey, I just love you so much. And totally. You're like, oh, thanks. And whenever I say that, Mary people are like, Man, that does sound that crazy. sounds
1: amazing. That's never once happened Steph? in my marriage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hope she's listening. No, I, I think it is. Yeah, that's so
2: interesting. That it, is very funny. I it's uh God, it's it's almost like do we go here with the podcast. But um,
0: or do we
1: divert back? I don't know. Um, there's a lot to be said on that. I, I do think it is very interesting. The more I've I've learned about the sexual revolution and how that did just rewrite rewrite so much, yeah. and how our relationships and and the world we live in today. Who knew that it, what was going to stem from that? Yeah, it's pretty fascinating.
0: No, it changed. It changed absolutely everything. And people are really naive about this. Uh, yes. You've heard, me, you've heard me say or use this analogy is that we we accept the world we're born into and we assume it. Right. And so it's hard for us to imagine that things could be otherwise. Totally. And the cell phones for me are a great example of this. I was just thinking this. Right? Yeah. They are. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're the great example of, you know, when you tell, uh, tell a 10-year-old today that you didn't have a cell phone when you were 10. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's like my, my nephew, I think it was Johnny. Johnny asked my grandma, my grandma, my mom, he turned to my mom one time and he goes, he goes, Grammy, did they have sidewalks when you were a little girl? Totally.
2: <laughs> Cause my yeah. mom had
0: said something like, you know, they didn't have cell phones or something. And she, he's like, that's about as wild as like, did you not have sidewalks? Yeah. Were there, were there trees when you were a little kid? <laughs> yeah.
1: We watched uh, the movie, The Founder. Steph oh, that's did, like McDonald's. One. The McDonald's one. Yeah. yeah. That's a whole nother story. I don't know if I can eat there anymore. But um, we, when you, I was thinking about the cell phone, because in that, there's a scene in there where he's talking to his wife and he's like, All right, I'm going to drive to California. I'll call you when I get there. Yeah. Like, is there, I'll call you when I find the payphone in California. And he was like, yeah. Drive from Missouri or something. He's like, My next rest stop, like, I can't imagine now, like, you know, especially with Steph, like, you know, I could see where she's at on the road. Like, I could find my friends on the iPhone. I could do all that kind of yeah. stuff that, like, it's hard to think about what life was like before and how you actually survived that way. I almost kind of romanticize it.
0: A lot of people do, you know. It's, I think it of it like um letters. Yeah. And and people debate this, and technology usually in the church's mind is neutral. It can it can really help. It can be really positive, but it can be negative. It's like like the internet. Is the internet positive or negative? Well, it's kind of neutral it depends on how you use it. Totally. Right? It's really really helpful for certain things and it's revolutionized our world in a lot of ways. It's a lot of really negative things come out of it. Yeah. But, you know, you could write in letters. There's something like amazing about that. Yeah. Um, But there's nothing, you know, I don't think that you can say that it's typing in emails intrinsically bad or something, but there does seem to be something human about physical things. Yep. And that's, for instance, is why I have a hard time. I don't use a Kindle or any of those electronic readers. I just can't do it. Interesting. I I love a physical book. I love, and like, I don't do it for novels, but for more serious books, I, I know you can highlight in your Kindle or whatever, but it's just not the same. The
1: actual pen to paper. See, I like going even before that to where it was all spoken word. That's why I don't like to read. I like to go further back in history. (laughs) You're such a dork. (laughs) This is why we have a podcast. This is exactly why. Yeah, we're the the
0: OGs here.
1: That's right. I kind of think we should just, now that we dove into that, we had something totally else planned, but now I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit. It's okay. That's fine. Um,
0: pick away.
1: Yeah, I mean, as you talk about the internet and how, you know, it depends on how you use it. But also I mean, like, that's everything and, and what we're born into. Like when Gianna's coming into this world, she's gonna have her perception of life. Can't fathom what it was like before. Um, I can't, you know, we've been watching uh, Yellowstone. And I'm like, dude, it'd be so cool to ride a horse, like from place to place. Like yeah. those type of things that we just don't have. But especially as I've learned more from you of the impact of the sexual revolution, and and I hear it all the time through yeah. friends, and especially coming out of CU Boulder and, and just in the secular world, how things like, and this may or may not be an episode for kids in the car, I guess. But more for just like a parenting aspect of, you know, sexuality in general, but especially when it's come to things that we see promiscuous things on TV, pornography, any of that kind of stuff that like everyone always kind of questions. I feel like it, like when it's like, you know, saying that you don't give into self-pleasure and and lust and love and all that kind of stuff that is so widely accepted in The secular world, like, and just like the dating scene, like you see that, like exactly what you're saying. I think there is so much truth that of like, people are, most of my friends are in their thirties. They're not, they're kind of dating, but there's no commitment level. Yeah. It's like, we're going to live together. It didn't work, blah, blah, blah. And you're kind of out, but it's very interesting to see the repercussions and why I think the church get a bad rap of, well, that's just how they did it. Back before just computers. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're just not with the times. They don't get yeah. it. Mm-hmm. But like, what is the danger of love versus lust or pornography, any of that kind of stuff yeah. that has sparked and is more rampant now than ever in where you're watching it? And especially seeing, you know, I turned on, I was reading the article the other day about like Cartoon Network now has, you know, promoting trans and and lgbq yeah, like all that kind of stuff like things, it's yeah. very interesting where the world is gone now
0: yeah so we probably should throw out a warning so if you're if you're driving right now you got the kids in the card or card in the car <laughs> if you have the kids around this might not be an episode for kiddos yeah so might be now a time to hit the pause button totally uh, so so hit pause um, uh, if that's the case and then we can have a little freedom to talk about this as adults yes and we're back.
2: Insert new track. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and we were not prepared to talk about this, but it was one that we wanted to talk about. I think we get it asked all the time mm-hmm. and it has been kind of those things like, how do we naturally lean into that? But I think now we have the
2: opportunity to. Yeah.
0: And so I think, you know, there's there's tons of research out there on this stuff. It's just not commonly acknowledged, it, at least in in media and in uh, national discourse among parents. I think it is acknowledged parents and everybody, everybody knows that this is unhealthy on a certain level, but, but it's good to get to like beneath the surface. Why is this wrong? Yeah. And, and why, what is it? What is sexuality? Why does the church think the way that she does around this? There's a book out there. Um, if you want to know some of the stats and, um, kind of sociological data out there on the sexual revolution, there's a great book by Mark, I don't know how you pronounce it, Regenerus or Renarius. I'm not sure, but I think it's Regenerus. Uh, there's a book called Cheap Sex.
2: Oh, yeah. You've said that.
0: Yep. And it's a, uh, you know, now it's probably five years old, something like that. But it was a great book. So it's not that old, but he did a, he just did a lot of the hard work of showing, look, there's not a absence of information on this. There's a ton of information and the data is clear. Yeah. The data is clear about what this has done. And one of the things to bring up what you just were saying. So one, one of the the problems with, with what's happened with the sexual revolution, and we could talk about, you know, why pornography is wrong and we'll get to that. But, um, one of the things that's happened is over overly broad stereotype, but has real truth to it is, uh, Men tend to use relationships for sex. Yep. Women tend to use sex for relationships.
2: Okay. Yep.
0: And that's overly broad. You know, it's it, it lacks nuance, but it's but there's a truth there. And uh, Mark Generous really shows this well in his book. Is that what the, the the people of the sexual revolution? Oftentimes, we hear that the sexual revolution has benefited women the most, and he he argues that actually women are the ones who have suffered the most from this.
1: Interesting. How so?
0: So the basic thought goes like this. So, um, so in that book, there's a huge survey done. I forget the name of uh, this huge survey on attitudes towards sexual norms in our country. And I'm sure it's dated now. It's probably like 2015 or something like that. Um, but like, like one of the questions it asks is it says, um, it asks everybody, when was the first time you had, had sex with your current person you're, who you're, you're partnering up with. And so, you know, we all know that's got to be okay. It's probably pretty quick. Right. Any guesses? When do you think?
1: Second or third date?
0: Yeah, that, that's exactly what I thought. Like second date, maybe even like the first. Yeah. The most common answer was before we started dating. Nice. That was the most common answer yeah. to that question. Yeah. Across like millions of Americans. And so the, the basic argument goes like this. The reason women lose out so much is that what women want to do is women want to find a, a spouse. So do men. Yeah. But, they, but women want to find a spouse, but generally in history, again, overgeneralization is not going to stop saying that, but generally men, if they wanted to have sex, men tend to have a stronger sexual drive than women. Not always, but there's, there's something there. Yeah. If men wanted to be able to have sex, guess what they had to do? They had to grow up. They had to get a job, and they had to marry a girl, and show that they could be a provider, and a husband, and a father. Yep. But now.
1: But so that his, required the relationship piece. Well, okay, no, okay, keep going. Sorry.
0: So women, though, so now, so this is part of the title of his book, "Cheap Sex," is that, but but what, what the sex revolution did is there was a, there was a cost to sex. If you wanted to engage in sexual activity, you had to grow up. Yeah. You and you had to commit and you had to basically become a man and men had an incentive to become adults. Totally. And so what he, what Regenerus says is that, uh, women are the losers because what happens now is that after the pill, every woman's available. And what happens is it, it made men, we thought it was going to liberate women, but it made men free to have sex with kind of whoever they wanted to. And women feel pressured. They say, you know, well, I can't if if I don't sleep with this guy, he's not gonna hang around, so I have to. That's right. But men don't actually have to commit because they already have what they want. And so they don't have to grow up and they don't have to. Because if if a girl is gonna stop sleeping with them, guess what? Someone else will. Totally. And so so part of the argument of why the and this is just one small piece. There's a there's a bunch of different reasons why the sexual evolution has been so harmful, but what happens then is that men tend to be attracted to younger women. And I'm going to get some of these things a little bit off um, because I don't have the book in front of me, but uh, men tend to be attracted to women, you know, in like kind of their mid twenties, let's say women tend to look for men who are um, established and mature you know, women are as much of pigs as we are. Totally, like, totally. I'm sure women are still attracted to young men. Yeah. You know, if you're out there and you're in your 50s or something, I'm sure you still find 25 year old guys attractive. Yeah. So it's it's not that, but 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 it seems to be a little bit more complex, and the data reflects this in surveys and studies and all these things. So what happens is women lose out because as men mature, they're going to be looking for younger women, and so the window for women closes on when they can actually kind of have a man who's going to really love them and say, yep, I want to marry you and let's settle down. And totally. And so women are caught in this kind of impossible position where if they want a guy, they have to be kind of willing to be physical with them. Yeah. Um, but they've got it. They've got to lock him up pretty quick because guys have this freedom where they, if they're not going to be a man and commit and, you know, love this woman and commit to her, there's going to be a younger girl and their clocks kind of ticking.
1: Gosh, it's so interesting too. I mean, I think, you know, I think it's just any college campus, not to pick on CU, but I think for a vast majority of them, it is interesting, especially watching Steph's little sisters and the twins at CU trying to date and the guys are just knuckleheads. And I say it with myself in the relationship and I, we talked with Steph and I said it on the podcast at one time, but like dating me before she met me, I was a totally different, like I needed all those years to grow up. Yeah. But I think what you're saying that that is really fascinating for me is yeah when you even when you get to college it's like oh now it's the first time out of the house I don't have a curfew I don't have you know someone checking in on me and and there's such a societal pressure to sleep around to you know rush for the fraternity all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That Steph says this she has a story of when she rushed for her sorority um, they lined up in a big circle, playing like "Have you ever?" And if you have, you ran across the circle, and um, if you didn't, you stayed there. Whatever it was. Yeah. But then you know they're all kind of doing this. Like, have you? We had- did that in
0: seminary. D- to- <laughs> <laughs> totally, year two. Year two. Um, <laughs> and and
1: one of the you know it's kind of like you know have you had more than two drink whatever it was and then the next one of the questions was, um, "Are you still a virgin?" And Steph goes sprinting across the circle, and she ended up being the only girl. Yeah, and she it like was devastating for her because she's super embarrassed running across. Um, but it kind of like you know it forced a lot of her friendships because some of the girls that were like you know I I wish I wouldn't have like yeah all that kind of stuff. But there is just that societal norm, and I think you see that in the same ways with pornography and yeah. and all that kind of stuff that is just like oh man, do you see this? And it's like this tough macho man thing that eventually you get knocked around so much with it, and then all of a sudden you're a 30-year-old man looking for a younger woman. Yeah. Because uh, you finally mature a little bit out of it. But I think there is such that dark cloud around that whole topic that no one wants to talk about it. Yeah. No one wants to address it. And then it, it kind of makes me think too of like there's been several things with like Biden and the Eucharist or rules and like the Olympics right now, the sprinter, that got banned because she smoked and like, well, marijuana is not illegal in Oregon. This is stupid. It's kind of like the church has these rules and everyone wants to point out, like, well, the church is just archaic and, you know, judgmental and this and that. Sure. But there is a beauty behind a lot of them. Um, rules are rules at the end of the day. Like the sprinter who smoked, like she knew the rule. We can debate the rule itself, sure. but you can't really debate her getting suspended because she knew it, no matter the circumstances, any of that kind of stuff. And when it comes to things like pornography, it's no different. Like if a man gives into that, or a woman or whatever, like you're not supposed to receive the Eucharist. You need to go confess it, all that kind of stuff. But it's hard in a world where it is so accepted. And then now you're the odd one for being like, no, I really actually try to not watch it.
0: The Yeah, no, and I mean, and to get to that, I think the, <clears throat> the depths of this problem, the real, the real problem, right? what's the problem with lust? What's the problem with pornography? And, and why, why does the church put up rules around sexuality? And one, one of the things that points I always like to make about this is that we only put rules around things that we care about.
2: Interesting. Okay.
0: So, so people in this, in culture, broadly speaking, they tend to think that the church thinks that sexuality is something dirty and ugly. And, and by the way, I understand that there are some Christians who treat it that way, but that's, that's actually false we tend to put rules around things that are good. So with, um, my dad's BMW is one kind of example I use for this. Yeah. Is my dad had a lot of rules around his BMW when I was in high school, a lot of rules. That wasn't because it was bad. It was because it was good. And when I had my Dodge neon, we had a lot less rules around my Dodge (laughs) neon, you know? And I, and I love that the, the, the neon was great, but, um, but the reason my dad had, had rules wasn't because it was bad or dirty. It's like, oh, it's dirty to drive the BMW, so don't touch it. Yeah, That's not why. It's because it's good. And good things are things we want to protect. That's why we tend to have rules around things that, we, that matter to us. You will have, I always say this, you and Stephanie will have much stronger rules for your kids than you will for other people's kids. Totally. And that's not because you're bad parents. It's because you love your children. And you, not that other kids are bad or something, but you see the point. Yep. So the, the heart of this is about the difference between a person and a body.
2: Interesting. Okay.
0: A person and a body. Again, Chesterton and uh, Fulton Sheen has a similar line to this. Um, and so does C.S. Lewis, I think, too. But there's a, there's a great line out there that says, when a man is feeling lust, there's an old phrase. I think this is from like the 50s. They'd say, oh, he, he's, he wants a woman. And these guys say, actually, that's precisely what he does not want. What he wants is a body. Ooh. And so, so the problem with a lot of these things is that a, phys, a merely physical object is something you use. I can use a car, I can use a hammer, I can use this microphone, a coffee mug, but you cannot use a person. Yeah. And this is the heart of this is why pornography is wrong. John Paul II has a beautiful line where he said that the problem with pornography is not that it shows too much, it's that it shows too little. And what he meant by that is that when, you, when, when someone looks at pornography, what they see is something that they're physically attracted to, but they don't see a person.
2: It's a thing.
0: It's a, and that's where we get the objectification, right? That language. Yeah. You're turning a person, a person is more than a thing, and you're reducing them to something less than a person. They're just a body. They're an object like a fork, you can use a fork because a fork is just an object. Right. You can't use a person. And if you've ever been used, it's awful. Yeah. there's None of us wants to be used.
2: Does that make sense? Oh, it's heavy. Like, and I I think you've may
1: have said this before too, but like, how was this in context, but like not in context, how was it phrased where it was like, when you are looking at somebody that is, I think it's not a, I mean, it's definitely a generalization, but most of like, um, let me put concrete behind this. Abby Johnson, who I listened to a podcast that she did, where she had, um, I forget who her guest was, but she was a a porn star Uh and is now, I believe a a Catholic out of San Diego. She's had this whole coming um, to Christ, like through a very nasty journey, but she was very, very broken. Yep. And her relationships as a child, all that kind of stuff, to where she started to kind of feel love in the porn industry because of the attention she was getting. Yep. And there's something so interesting to think like as you start to kind of dive into some of that nasty world of like, because it's just a rabbit hole of where you end up that leads you going down towards when it comes to like pornography or sexuality and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you start to like somebody said this. You gotta imagine what if that was your daughter?
0: Exactly. That's exactly, and that's that's the person point, right? Right. Like, like so. When you when you look at Gianna, you you'll like. I made this point in a homily recently. Like, some one of my philosophy professors, Terry Wright, who is love that man, respect him so much. But he used to say in his classroom, and he wasn't talking about this subject. Yeah. But he was talking about how perception works and he would say his daughter, Rachel. Yeah. If she walked into the room, all of us would see the same thing, the same person, but he would see her differently because it's his daughter. Totally. And, and what he, his knowledge and his love for her reveals more than a physical body that a person is the spiritual reality of a person that has an intellect and a will that has a personality and choices and a certain way of laughing. And, uh, that's a person. But what pornography does is it, you don't, you don't want to know that, right? Like pornography is, I don't care about this person's personality. In fact, people don't want to know. Yeah, about Don't it. tell me. They just, cause that humanizes them. That's right. And so this is the central problem with pornography. And, is that it's is that you you cannot use a person. Immanuel Kant, one of the great philosophers of the Enlightenment, right? He understood this, and was he he was, you know, uh, not really a Christian. He was a son of a minister, but he he. This is one of his great rules for morality: is you cannot use a person, and that's because use is the opposite of love. Yeah, and again, and this just drives us back, and and so so really in Catholic morality, right? The way things are tells us how we're to behave with them, right? Like the the way, the reason you treat a dog differently than a blade of grass is because a dog has um, consciousness and sensation. And so a blade of grass doesn't have a nervous system. Yep. So, so no one mows the grass and says,
2: poor blade.
0: Yeah. Right. We don't. Right. We, we don't have a criminal investigation. Oh, another guy mowing his lawn this week. That's it. That was a living thing. You just kill a living thing. Why don't we do that? Yeah. And and most people we never think about these things, but in Catholic thought, and and again, this isn't just Catholic. Anyone with a brain in their head, what a thing is tells us how we're to treat it, and so we can mow the lawn because the the grass does not the type of being it is. It's a vegetative being not sensitive it doesn't have sensation it does not have consciousness therefore there's nothing immoral about mowing the grass if you kick a dog in the face that's wrong
2: yeah yeah
0: that's immoral gosh right and the reason why is because a dog has sensation has consciousness it can feel pain that's that's an immoral thing to do um and so sex we have to know what it is to know how we're supposed to treat it and this is my favorite line so I'm trying to find this on my computer. Let me pull this up really quick.
1: I think it, as you pull that up. Yes. Like it is, um, Steph and I watched a documentary on Jeffrey Epstein okay. and, um, also the documentary called athlete a, and a lot of it. And I think there's so many studies out there that like pornography, you know, you start basically at a, and it leads to eventually like, there's so many to like sex trafficking, Yep. Children pornography, all that stuff. Like again, that's where it just starts to become this slippery slope. And uh one of the in the Athlete A, it was the the doctor from the US gymnastics. And
0: what was his do you remember his name? Oh uh, I remember when all that broke.
1: It was um he was a doctor at Michigan State. Oh, I forget his name. Um but one of his as part of the deal that they the his like plea deal was, I think it was 156 women Mm -hmm. came in and read their story to him in front of the court. And it was like their chance. And as you're saying this, it is like, man, he got to a place in his head that none of these. And at the time they're little girls. Like they are, you know, if you're, I think there's a girl in the Olympics this year, that's 24. And she's like the old one. Right. So like most of the girls in gymnastics, they were anywhere from like 10, to 18 when he was, you know, objectifying them, yep, getting away with all this stuff, but he c- could care less about them. Yep. It was literally a body. exactly. And I've never thought of it that way. That's very interesting.
0: Yeah. This is, I mean, and this is really, this is one of those principles of morality. And I don't, I couldn't pull up the quote. I haven't put it into my court document yet, but the, but the one that I was going to get at in, so John Paul II wrote a he wrote so many beautiful things. He has a a great book called Love and Responsibility. If you want a book to read on this, though, I would really recommend Dr. Ted Shree wrote a book called Men, Women, and the Mystery of Love. Mm-hmm. And what that book does is it takes John Paul II's love and responsibility, and it distills it because it, if you pick up St. John Paul II's book, it's pretty dense and philosophically dense. And Dr. Shree, uh, hashtag Lord's Parishioner, yeah. Great guy, great scripture scholar. Ted distills it and makes it understandable. But uh, what John Paul said, he wrote that book, but then he wrote an encyclical called Familiaris Consortio. And this is John. So uh, Pope Paul VI wrote in 1968, he wrote uh, Humanae Vitae, which is the modern church's stance against contraception. And so people read that all the time. It's a very, very short encyclical. But John Paul II, and I want to say like 92, I'm not sure the exact year, but he wrote Familiaris Consortio. And that's the way better encyclical. It's the full flowering. And it's, it's him not just telling you, hey, this is wrong, but he delves into like, what is the church's wisdom? Why has the church always been against these things? So it's a long intro to say in this quote, I won't get it exactly right. But John Paul II says, um, he, the marital act, which is, he's just saying, another way of saying sex, he says, the marital act is by no means something merely biological, but concerns the the depths of the human person as such. So, what he's getting at here is that the sexual act, it's easy to think of it as something just physical. Yeah. But actually, I think if, and if you're listening right now, I bet you can think of this, and you can see the truth in this. Is the sexuality is actually one of the most beautiful things that touches the very soul of a person. And when you've, if you've been in a sexual relationship with someone and they broke up with you, it's devastating. Totally. It's absolutely, because because what would, to know how to treat something we have to know what it is. Yep. And. What John Paul is getting at here is that sexuality is not just this like, I have a desire, you have a desire, you know, why don't we get drunk and, you know, Jimmy Buffett. It's not that. It's something something profoundly beautiful. And what sexuality is supposed to be, and this is where John Paul II is, why so many people love his teaching on this, is that he was able to articulate that when you love someone, you want to make a gift of self right? When you started dating stuff and you guys start falling in love, the most natural thing on earth is to give them a gift. Yeah. And what John Paul II developed is this language of sexuality speaks a language. So even if you don't say it audibly with your mouth, sex says something. Totally. And what it says is, Hey, the gift I want to give you is not just flowers or a nice dinner or, uh, You know, tickets to the Denver Broncos football stadium, as you call it. (laughs) Um, But the gift I want to give you is me. Yeah. I love you so much. Here's my heart. Here's my soul. Here's my mind. Here's my future. Here's my past. Here's me. And so, so John Paul had this profoundly Catholic way of saying the body and what we do with the body, but the body reveals the person. And, and so sexuality is always meant to be in the context of a loving gift of is that Wow. Those are profound things.
2: Wow. And that's where, so like you have the objectifying
1: somebody through pornography and that whole, you know, go to Vegas for a weekend scenario. But what about like also, um, I just to say I would you'd say like self-play but like masturbation, any of that kind of stuff that is Yep Um uh, that's a very common question too, where again in society it's so accepted, like it's kind of yep. weird if you don't type thing. Yep. And is it the same kind of thing then too?
0: Yeah. I mean, and so it's it it has to do with that. So any anything in life, right, you can look at its proper use or its abuse. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. Right. So a hammer is really good for pounding nails. It's it's probably not something you want to play catch with your five year old.
2: Right. Right. That would definitely be a,
0: frowned upon. Definitely frowned upon. Right. Like, so so what a thing is, and this is these are basic things, but this is really the level of the argument that no one ever has. Right. Is that a, <clears throat> a thing is meant to tell us how its proper uses and what its abuse is, and we have we don't know everything about every object. Some 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 things are a little bit trickier to know. Yeah it would be pretty hard to go through life and say, I don't really know what the proper use of a hammer is. So I'm just going to use it. However I feel like in the moment. And if I want to throw it at a window or a person or try to eat it, I'll just, that's fine. No, like we can know what things are and therefore how to use them. So with like masturbation, masturbation is very clearly a simulation of the sexual act. Totally. Right. And so So what's happening there is we're trying, and and many, many of the things the church says, like, and by the way, these are hard. And if you're out there listening today, like sexuality is extremely difficult.
2: I mean, yeah.
0: And self-mastery of our sexual desires is a really, really hard thing to grow into in your life. And it's worth it. Totally. And and it'll bring you freedom. And there's so many things I want to say on the subject, right? Like, Lust, I mean, for any of us, men and women included, tends to, you know, skew more towards men, but it's for women too. One of the things with lust is like, it's really hard and some people struggle with it more than others. Yeah. But what you want is, is your, your attraction to people is something you're going to live a happier life if you can control that instead of it controlling you. Totally. It's just like alcohol. Alcohol is a good thing. But you're going to live a better life if you can control your desire for alcohol rather than your desire for alcohol controlling you. Yep. This is what yep. freedom is about. So anyway, so with so many sexual kind of sins and the thing the church sees around these, and I do think, by the way, yes, they're wrong and the action's wrong. and um, But I think a more helpful way, I see this to people in confession sometimes, is people just beat themselves up. Right. And they're like, okay, Father, I fell into masturbation or pornography or lustful thoughts or whatever it might be. And it's good for them to come to confession and they should. But but something I say sometimes to people is that a good way to look at this instead of like, oh my gosh, I did this five times. I am the worst person on earth, which is what most of these people do, by the way, who are Catholic.
2: Yeah, totally. And they're
0: like I am the worst human being who's ever lived. What I tell them is I say, okay, instead of this is a sin, of course, proper caveats, but think of this as a brokenness in your life that is something that you're asking God to help you overcome. Yep. And I think that's a better way to look at it. And oh, so, that's like, beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? I yeah. love that.
1: Yeah. Because I think too, I mean, and I think you see it, so I guess <sighs> with the sexual revolution, it definitely rearranged the order. And you say this, I feel like you say this a lot, but, um, and yeah. how we look at, Dating relationships, all that kind of stuff, where it's like no longer leads to marriage. Now, all of a sudden, to that study, sex is happening before we're even dating. Yeah. And which, correct me if I'm wrong, The too. I think I remember this one of your homilies. Wasn't one of the letters, was it Paul that who wrote the letter about the like infidelity? Like it was happening way back in Jesus' time, like uh, debauchery and like sleeping.
0: Um Yeah, Paul will talk about that in a lot of his moral yeah um, his 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 kind of just um I forget the word right now. Um but he's but in, in his kind of he'll have categories of sins in different lists. It's like for instance in Galatians 5 i he'll have one of these. And he'll talk about that in most of his letters, he'll have um these censures against certain types of activity. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And okay.
0: cornea is the word, so you'll hear the word in the New Testament immorality. And the word immorality Almost always, the Greek word when that's translated into English, the, what the word they're translating is pornea, which is where we get pornography. Whoa! And so, pornea is sexual immorality, is what that means. Okay. And "graphē" is to write in Greek, and so pornography is—it's meant to say something about like a, a depiction of sexual immorality. Interesting. Okay. So that's, okay. that's where you get the word pornography. Okay.
1: Um, I just yeah, I feel like it has. Man, to just look back and be like, "What was it like before?" But to see where society is now, and trying to like, oftentimes it's like you know what the church says, but you like I'll get defensive trying to defend like why we try to avoid things like pornography, yeah, you know, self pleasure, any of that kind of stuff that is so widely accepted. Like I cannot.
0: Oh yeah, it's everywhere. Like man.
1: it is rampant and promoted. And, like, even to say, too, like, of, like, the lust thing, like, you and I joke about it, but, you know, you can't go anywhere. Like, the, the gym, I had to, when I started dating Steph, I was obsessed with, uh, like, hot yoga. Yeah. And, like, core power. Yeah. And I literally... That, was, I that was
0: my nickname in high school.
1: Core power. Hot yoga. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which, apparently, there, there's a whole thing that I didn't know about with, like, yoga is potentially dangerous and... Right. All that stuff, but... I I just loved it for the actual workout itself and the, the hot room and all that stuff. But then when I really started to kind of date Steph, I was like, Oh my gosh. Like I, I can't, it's not good for my humanity as a man walking in there and the outfits that are, you know, one in any sort of defense, it's a hundred degrees in that place. Like it's very, you're sweating like crazy, but sexuality now is what sells. It's a, Billion dollar and multi-billion uh, sure. dollar industry right. that you're up it's against. Just, it's just everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah. So, to not beat yourself up about it is crucial because it only gets worse. Yep. You only get more isolated. Talk about any of the mental health issues that come involved in that. Uh, so, trying to just address the elephant in the room of like, tell me you can't tell me you haven't like struggled with it at some point or it right. hasn't like tempted you, uh, but to truly understand why. I think it is, it's, it almost is like, how could you not agree with the stance that you are totally objectifying something? Yeah. And if you put that into a, a personal thing, if that was your daughter, if that was your wife, that was anything that no longer has a face or a yeah. story, you're s- truly just using them.
0: Yeah. And this is, so the difference between, and you know, so much of the, the modern world they say, well, we've sexually liberated women. And, t- and liber is a word for free in Latin. And so that's where liberation right, is freedom, but it's not freedom. Right. So freedom is, and this is freedom has to be connected to what is good. Yeah. And so, so the classically and in Catholic thought, the caricature of freedom, so the counterfeit, the counterfeit of freedom is license. And license is. I can do whatever the hell I want to do and no one can tell me otherwise. Uh-huh. License is awful. If you meet, if you meet someone who is engaged in license, that person is going to live a miserable life. They're yeah. going to be, they're going to be a train wreck to themselves and to everyone around them. Yep. The person of licentiousness and that you'll see that in the new Testament licentiousness means like, I can do whatever I want to do and I'm free to do it. And no one's going to tell me otherwise. And the problem with this is that it doesn't, and again, Catholic morality is about the way the world is tells us how to behave. And the truth is, is if you live your life that way, you all of us know it, you're going to be miserable. Yep. It's called Hollywood, right? Go do all the drugs you want. Go have sex with however many people you want. You know, Worship power, sex, and money. Go get tons of plastic surgery and tell me if you're happy. That's right. And you know what? They, and you know what? Some of them might think they're happy even. Totally. But they're not. And anyone who has a brain in their head knows they're not happy because what, what leads to happiness is not, and Curtis Martin has one of the best one-liners on this. I think I've quoted it on the podcast before, but he had this great one-liner and it was actually the Denver Post interviewed him. Oh, wow. And this is not Curtis Martin, the football player, Curtis Martin, the fan <laughs> of the focus. is a friend of mine. I love him. I love Curtis. But Curtis says, you know, the culture teaches us that pleasure is what makes for happiness. Mm-hmm. God teaches us that goodness makes happiness. And that's, that's something gotta think about, right? The the culture says that pleasure is what brings happiness. God teaches us that goodness brings happiness. And so think about that in the context of sexuality. You can just run after pleasure and all you want. Yeah. It'll holly you out inside. It'll feel good in the moment. Yeah. It's, it's, it'll feel good in the moment. You know, it brings happiness. Fighting against your, uh, desires that will seek to control you and order them. It doesn't mean, right. It doesn't mean you become someone who is, you know, a prude, but it means that you control your desires instead of them controlling you. And you know what ends up happening is you marry a great person and your sexual desires that you still, you know, your whole life for a lot of people, these are not things that are easy to control. You have to keep fighting your whole life, even when you're married. Um, but your sexual desire is now attached to a person. Totally. It's not, what do I want tonight? Is it? Is it, you know, when, when you're married, even if you have, you know, a sexual urge, hopefully, right, what's happening is like, well, my sexual urge is there, but I love this person. Yeah. It isn't. It me. isn't just like, it isn't merely this. Yeah. It's integrated into a relationship where I love this person so much. And maybe one more thing I would say about this, by the way, this is part of the reason I think the contraception has been so bad for our culture. Is that uh, prior to the oral contraceptive pill and to all the modern kind of methodology on contraceptives, whenever you were going to engage in sex with someone, there was a possibility that you would produce life. Yeah, and what that meant that that kind of safeguarded men and women. Because what it did is it said, "Hey, if I'm going to engage in this type of activity with someone." this is someone that I actually want to have a child with. Yep. And we all know there are people out there who don't do this perfectly and who have, you know, had kids and haven't been around as a dad or, uh, or a mom. And that's not great. But, um, but by and large, if you're going to have, if you're open to life with someone, that's a pretty good sign that actually like, if you want to make a baby with them, you want to be around that
2: person. You're in it for the long haul.
0: And so, hence, why, why does the church believe that marriage is a proper place for sexuality? Well, because we're not supposed to, to reinvent what God, and this is what we do, right? If we want to behave, behave however we want, we have to change the nature of a thing. Yep. So what contraception does, and this is at the heart of the church's argument against contraceptives, is we pretended that we could reinvent what sex is. Yeah. And that's what contraception does, is it. It, it reinvents so sexuality is both procreative, right? It creates life, and it's unitive. It unites people, and pleasure is good within that context. It's a good thing. Um, pleasure is not an evil thing. But what we did in contraception is we said we don't like this this procreative aspect, and so we redefined the sexual act itself. Yep. And when you do that, there are consequences, and those consequences are what we call modern society. Yep. Where the average age of exposure to porn right is like age 8 now Gosh. and little boys grow up and they grow into men who are addicted to pornography yep and who trying to be chased for these these children growing up god bless them good That's luck right. and then women right these little girls because of the way we've structured things these poor girls grow up with this unbelievable pressure that they have to look sexy all the time
2: yep yep
0: and and i talk to women all the time who are like this is all they they think about it constantly, and that does not—that's not what we're made for. Right? Being being attractive, there's nothing wrong with that. I like you know I people check me out all the time at the gym, and then they right. realize it's their pastor. I get like, it.
1: Dang, it's got, rough working out next to you.
0: I know the women are like, man, dang it, I was lusting after Father Brian again. Totally. Um, no, that never happens. But but you see, my point is that morality is about goodness. Yeah, it's not about license. It's about goodness. And uh, and so at the heart of it, but I just love John Paul II's, right? Something to reflect about, is, reflect on with the sexual revolution is that um, people are to be loved and not used. And even if they both agree to it, people will say to me, well, what if we both just want to be used? Does it make it okay? Right. Right? What if What if we decide we both want to kill each other? Does that make it okay because we both wanted it? No, There there are some things that are good or they're bad. And using another person cannot be good. At it least, it's
1: almost like even you know it's out there, but like the whole friends with benefits. Yep. Like that concept of like we don't want a relationship, but we are going to use each other. Yeah. In that sense. Yeah. Oh, it's deep. It yeah. It just
0: can't be that. And so to to lead to fulfillment, um, these are the types of things we need to pursue. And so so I mean we're we're getting to the point where we're over time here, but I just yeah. maybe an encouragement to everybody out there like. If you're listening to this podcast, maybe you get this. Um, I do want to say we can't push to the other extreme. Right. You know, some, like Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas would say, the virtue is in the, the mean, in the middle. And so you can have, right now we live in this hyper culture, which is obviously very broken. But that doesn't mean that you and I should swing to this other side. There's a priest I know, CM Buckley, Father CM Buckley, who's a wonderful priest. And he's chaplain at the university and it's very traditional Catholic, very, very good place, but very traditional. And he would always joke, women would come talk to him. He would say, and they'd be like, Father Buckley, like, how do I like, how do I find a guy? And he's like, you need to wear shorter dresses.
2: (laughs) You don't usually
0: say things like that. Right. But he would always joke. He's like, these women, they, their dresses are touching the ground. Yeah, he's like, you can show your ankles, right? He's like, flash some ankle, totally. you know, <laughs> totally. And so we, we don't need to be that being on that side is just as bad in some, some ways, at least. We need to have a healthy view of sexuality. It's good that we're attracted to each other, uh, but it has to be something that we control and not that it controls. Well, us. I
1: think you've said this before. Last thing I would say, like in in defense of not going to the other extreme, because that's how did you say this to me before. But finding, um, it's, it's almost like, I think you and I talked about it when I talked about my eating disorder Mm -hmm. and it was like, okay, I know my trigger foods were cereal or whatever it may have been. Yep. So then I would try to control it so much where I just never even saw cereal.
0: Right.
1: But on the other end of what was happening on the eating disorder side, when I would try to control it that much, I don't have control of the eating disorder. The like eating disorder still has control of me. And sexuality, if you're gonna to go to that side, yep. you don't have the freedom in that sense. Yep. Like you're you're trying to live that other extreme that is just as bad as the other side, different outcome. Right. But you're still living a life that is that sexuality is controlling you. Yep. Instead of being in the middle, like you've said. But I think that kind of blew my mind when I was thinking about it in other contexts of like, you know, um, Like even for the bike accident, like, okay, if I, I don't ever want to be in that situation. I'm never, I'm going to walk around in bubble wrap and I'm scared to death of anything ever happening to me again. That's not healthy. Like you're trying to protect yourself from the one thing, but now you're going to live this anxious life full of all this anxiety because you're trying to avoid it.
0: Yeah, the, The abuse of something does not disprove its proper usage.
2: Right, right.
0: I love that line. The, the abuse of something does not disprove its proper usage. So, you know, this this gymnastics doctor, Yeah. his abuse of his position does not disprove that we should have gymnastics coaches. God, right. that's
1: a whole nother topic. Steph and I, I know we got to run, but Steph and I have talked about that of like, you watch that documentary. I'm like, John, I will never do gymnastics. Yeah. Right. Right. So I'm instantly like, but then I also watch him like, but. It probably has, it's fundamental, like you're going into your body, the things they do, you're like athletically, absolutely. Yeah. And then on the flip side too, I also question sometimes. I'm like, man, look what they're also wearing. Right. Like some of those outfits, I'm like, good Lord. Like, it's <laughs> like, what? It's like, it's just a temptation. You're just like, oh my gosh. But it is very interesting. When I did watch it, I was like, yeah, nope. Mm-mm. She's not doing that. And I yeah. instantly demonized the, the entire sport of gymnastics outside. Dr. Nasser, Larry Nassar. Larry
0: Nassar.
1: Uh, so anyways, yeah, I find that, I think it is a very interesting topic though of like, sometimes I find it very hard to defend, you know, why the church says something or why I try to avoid things. Like very rarely do I get into like, well, the church says this. It's like, guys be like, oh, did you watch this? I'm like, no, I'm not into that stuff anymore. Like whatever it is. yeah. But to, uh, to just keep it simple and being able to say like, you truly are objectifying that person in yep. that sense.
0: All right. We're going to wrap it up, wow. folks. Uh, thanks for listening in. Uh, send us your comments, your questions. Uh will get stuff back on the show because everybody likes her more than me. Huh. And I'm super insecure about that, <laughs> <laughs> but you can email us rant at lordsdenver.org. Uh, God bless you. Thanks for listening.
2: See ya.